You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Coming to you from Magnified Cemeteries, Magnified Pod presents Magnified Pod. Covering your favorite indie horror bands from the Christian alternative scene. Put your tape deaths on record. I'm Count Andrew. I'm John Rotter. And this is our podcast. And we are... Opening up, we're prying open that coffin this week. Opening up that that old right. box mm-hmm. for an archive episode. Yes. This is an episode that we recorded last year mm-hmm. with Shadow Producer Jason, where we talked about Savior Machine and Rackets and Drapes. Uh, amongst other things, Jason talking, getting a little personal, talking about his experience in the scene and his experience seeing uh rackets and drapes and um so it's a a very interesting conversation and we felt like we didn't we posted it on the patreon last year but we felt like yes it would be worth releasing as a regular episode so that is what we're doing this week hell yeah we uh we didn't think uh, spooky season would be complete last year without talking about two interesting bands from yes. different sides of the sort of theatrical spooky Christian rock spectrum. Uh, one who in our conversation, you'll see that we feel pulls it off better than the other. <laughs> um, but yeah, Rackets and Drapes and Saving Machine, Jason had thoughts. We wanted to share these these thoughtful thoughts uh, with the wider world beyond the Patreon punk. So we're unlocking that box, getting yeah. it out of the open, sharing it with folks. So yeah, without further ado, should we should we dive into the past? <laughs> yes, we're going back to the past. Yeah, with Shadow Producer Jason, and if you haven't heard of or even heard Rackets and Drapes before, uh, you heard a little Savior Machine here at the beginning. But uh, be warned, it's 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 rough. So <laughs> let's get into it. <laughs> Hell yeah. There it is. Hey, buddy. I was hoping you'd come with your face painted white into the teardrop, but this this works too. Ooh. <laughs> Jason, wow. may I take you? Uh, can, I, can I take your soul to a carnival? It feels like a, a goth '90s video right now. I know it is. Very spooky. You, plus, he's wearing Ooh. a Huba, <laughs> plus he's wearing a Huba stank hat who was stank and are you afraid of the dark i mean <laughs> submitted for the approval of our midnight society <laughs> we call this episode what racket. if there was a box so big uh. that opening it 
led you to another world, another realm of unsafety. Another uh, realm so scary you couldn't even believe the things that you saw. I don't know if there's a box big enough for rackets <laughs> and drapes. There is a good and there is an evil. And there is a theater. And there is a carnival of horrors. Mm. Tonight we open up the box of the 90s satanic Christian theatrical scene. <laughs> the carnival of souls even. But... What's going to happen? <laughs> it's going to be terrifying. It's going to be unbelievable. Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. I call this story The Tale of Two Christians. Mm. This is good. <laughs> Sounds like some murder is happening. Yeah. Uh, homicides, even. Best intro we've ever had for an episode? <laughs> I think so. How you doing, Jason? Boys, boys, boys. This is going to be horrifying. <laughs> um yeah it's um rackets and drape rackets and drapes it's uh it's not good yeah <laughs> not good no it is and it's horrible it's bad it's yes. uh it's hard it's hard to listen to um just because of not just because of the lyrics but just how derivative and cringy and embarrassing it is. It's just embarrassing. Yeah. Candyland. Yep. Produced in, I want to say 1997. Came out in 98. So yeah, probably. Featuring the same drawing illustrator as the Five Iron Frenzy CD. Ah. Characters inside of Candyland are from that same universe, sadly. Well, that is doesn't, help. Uh, doesn't surprise me. Got doesn't help. I Wait, wanted this, to set uh... up this episode as uh, a sort of contrasting ideas. Contrasting okay. ideas about the operatic, theatrical, performance art-based scene of Christian music in the 90s, especially as it related and veered towards this gothic horrific magnifite pod style mm -hmm. and these were the two bands that i thought of that summarized the the dynamics that were at work in the christian scene more honestly and sincerely and more crazily there was just nobody there who represented or typified the christian horror core scene quite like these two acts did those yeah. being Savior Machine, a band who, for all intents and purposes, like to write their entire band mythos into the realm of apocalyptic, revelatory, revelations, Tory, scenery, backdrop, everything about their music is apocalyptic, right? theatrical. Did you guys ever get the chance to see either of these acts, Rackets and Drapes or Savior Machine. Uh, definitely not. No. Uh, it, it's unbelievable. Both of these shows were something to witness and bear witness to. I saw both of them 
in the cornerstone context and certainly rack and stripes multiple times in the Denver scene context right. in and around Denver. Rackets and drapes and shaving machine both uh, graced the cover of HM magazine in the 90s. Wow. As headliners. Uh, there was much talk of both of these acts as being must-sees at Cornerstone. Tim, who went by the name Candy Cane, has lived his last 20 years as a woman. So he's in the LGBTQ trans community and uh, is still married to his wife partner. Uh, and it's just the deeper you go, the more onions you unpeel with this whole scene, the more you can't, uh, you can't really just label it as being shitty music, as easy as that would be, or derivative music. There's so much more work like going on there so much of a question of why the need for this even existed within the Christian context. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who was looking for this music? Was anybody looking for this music or were these people such misfits in the context of their own Christian subgenres that they, they really wanted to find a way to express themselves in a very, in the savior machine context completely off in left field outer space operatic sort of way. I mean, their shows were adorned with candelabras everywhere. And half of the time the singer would perform with no music vocals alone, just standing there with no microphone and a headset coming in front of his white painted face and singing songs for sometimes 10 minutes at a time. Yeah. No music or context. Uh, so this was just truly you're watching performance art and theater and right. and grapes thought of themselves similarly in, in such a way that they were, their goal was to upset everybody, be right. subversive, be offensive. And yet the way that they chose to express such subversions was so common and so right. derivative of Marilyn Manson. It was like, if you really wanted to be subversive, let's say take by comparison, raft of dead monkeys, like 90 pound wusses, after 90 pound was project at cornerstone and they got up there and they smeared blood all over themselves and they swore and they were really doing things to upset everybody in a different way that was unique and novel but brackets and drapes choosing this motif of basically just smells like children era marilyn manson yeah like very derivative of the style everything the look the feel the sound but just also poorly poorly constructed and performed music yeah uh, it's my... so interesting there's so many layers i want to talk with you guys about the tonight that i've never talked with anybody about i've never talked to my wife about this involvement in this pentecostal theatrical extreme christian scene and my sort of dealings with it as a yeah as a musician and as a christian back then we're excited for you to guide us down this trail of terror um I mean, talk about like a niche scene within a niche scene. Um, but my understanding is that like Savior Machine, pretty widely respected yes. in the Christian metal world. Did Rackets and Drapes ever achieve a level of respect beyond a really small niche? Or do you think that was always kind of like greeted with a, a shrug, like on the larger scale? Never embraced by anybody. Yeah. Okay. It was embraced by, by basically HM Magazine because HM Magazine at the time was essentially like a heavier version of the True Tunes music chart 
like giving you a basis for comparison or reference for right. whatever style of music you might be into. If you really like Pantera, I've got our six feet deep solution for you, buddy. If you really want to hear something that sounds like Rage Against the Machine, let's go with EDL or POD. There was always that framework for HM pretty much from the time Tooth & Nail came on the scene. Before that, HM Magazine was very much all about just one lane of heavy metal Christian music and thrash and talking about bride, disciple, early living sacrifice, crucified, those types of bands. But when Tooth & Nail came onto the scene, they were putting, you know, focused on covers or Danielson on covers or, you know, Rackets and Drapes by comparison on covers so that you had this this option as a weird kid we want to bring the goth kids into christianity maybe the only inroad that we have is a guy dressed like the cat in the hat maybe right. <laughs> yeah so you're saying doug tenaple did this doug van pelt who was the editor and writer and uh chief guy behind hm magazine which was the primary driver of both of these bands success but i mean did the uh the illustration uh no no, oh. um, just a local Denver guy did both the character illustration stencils for the Fire and Frenzy album, like a local oh, okay. guy and the Rackets and Drapes. I don't Got know it. who did this artwork for uh, for Candyland, the record. For people who don't know Candyland, this is going to be a very bizarre thing because it's, it's pretty much unfindable. Okay. Online. It's very much buried in the narrative of... Um, Christendom, even by brackets and drapes themselves, and uh, Candy Cane slash Tim slash however he identifies or she identifies at this point, uh, are still trying to, in some weird way, release new music under this name. Yes, they they uh, just four days ago put up a new song on their YouTube. Yeah, so they have a new song because their their last single that they released was almost a year ago and yeah so i was just i was going down this rabbit hole and i found that yeah just four days ago and it's um it's still uh uh not great um yeah i don't better need to talk (laughs) but you know (laughs) I'm gonna have Nominally. a weird beard. I'm gonna have a weird beard tonight for the first time ever. By the way, you got this is the Emery in shallow seas we ale beer that they sent us that we designed. Oh them. right, that sounded really good, and the design is very cool. I don't know. I just I'm gonna try it. I don't drink beer at all. Like I don't even like beer, but I'm curious to try it for you guys. Do it. We'd love to hear um, that review. So. so it's so hard to know where to start, but yeah. one thing that's extremely important to get across is um, it's easy to judge what was going on then for these people. And it was really easy to continue the judgment train uh, against whatever these people have going on right now. And I'm not really here to do any of that. I am here to just simply tell about a, a box and a time that exists in the Christian music scene that is so far off the beaten path most people aren't going to know about it so as a matter of almost historical record i feel like putting this personal version anecdotally of my interfacings with this kind of music and this sort of style and scene is uh probably going to be more cathartic for me than anything else sure well you know jason you were wondering 
you know, you don't know where to start. I think John, <laughs> an important I have, question. we have an important question that I think would be a good place to start. And That's that good. is, when did you first hear of rackets and drapes? I didn't hear of rackets and drapes. I heard of human soup. Ah, uh, yes. So there was a very odd time in about 96 when I started getting into, or, or 95 when I started getting into the Christian music scene in a big way, the local underground Christian music scene where there were a lot of these bands in Colorado or around Colorado who were naming their their bands off of meals. So there was All You Can Eat, which was a ska punk band. There was Human Soup. Yep. There was Instant Lunch. Um, these bands all around, our, our band was called Average. So these, I mean, the naming conventions were not great, but uh, there was a Human Soup show that came onto my radar. We had what was called the Knob Line back in the, in the mid nineties run by Keith Herrig from five iron frenzy. It was a mm -hmm. concert update line just for the Christian music kits. If you open up, if you open up our newest album ever from five iron frenzy, for instance, uh, you could read the bottom credit line, which says for in information on shows call 303-575-KNOB. And that's what we all did to get information on shows. So I heard about uh, human soup and rackets and drapes, premiere as rackets and drapes under the new naming convention i think it was around vision fest 97 hearing about this anathema even within the christian music scene of a husband and wife duo who had a really bad drum programming machine who tried <laughs> to play with one of those green ibanez guitars mm. you know with the really pointy yeah. edges mm -hmm. to it and yeah seven fret or seven strings i'm sorry seven string guitar and and just like yeah they sound like uh yeah they they sound like marilyn manson i, I guess <laughs> would be kind of the review from even their promoters but what <laughs> what we all heard was it's not a show to be missed mm. uh you 12 year old jason need to hear baby killer <laughs> because yeah uh, it's got a good message, right? This is and where we get, this is where we start to get into the realm of um, a lot of questions that I have about all of it, and a right. lot of reflections I have on a lot of it are, are are the is this band trying to present some of the extreme conservative views that have existed in Christendom throughout the years? as being something to play in that realm of like how silly it is and how over the top it is and how Christians who essentially condemn women who have abortions, uh, are they calling them a baby killer? Is that really just a stupid joke? Or do they themselves think a woman who has an abortion is a baby killer? And we're going to just say it in the most upfront and damning, horrific way possible and more importantly does it matter is the answer to either one of these questions good for anybody you know what i mean right um well i mean i think yes it, it i think it because when you're when you're calling it genocide i mean uh -huh. yeah it's it's it is to your point so 
over the top. Um, but yeah, I think when, like for me, like I was super impressionable to that kind of stuff when I was a kid. It was like, cause if, if someone was like, oh, this is a Christian band, I was like, then that in a way was like, oh, that means this is like, okay. Or like, it's like almost co-signing what they were presenting and like there's you're not going to find a lot of nuance in rackets and drapes lyrics around issues of bodily autonomy and women's rights so uh (laughs) nuance is not their game no and they they were self-professed shock rock christian stuff yeah. You know? <laughs> like, right. They were more interested in talking about their influences as not just Marilyn Manson, but a, a whole gothic Sisters of Mercy, Skinny Puppy, Community FK sort of scene in the late 80s and saying, what we want is for people to go discover a kind of music that was cheap to make. Kind of like when you had people espousing the virtues of black metal in the late 90s, where hmm. like you, you had them talking about bands that sounded like they were being recorded in a cassette tape in a garage, <laughs> but now have been considered to be uh, pioneers and forefathers of that scene, the Dark Thrones, the Abbots, the, all these types of bands. Uh, their earliest stuff just sounds God awful to yeah, anybody's yeah. ears, but that's kind of what Rackets and Drapes sonically was going for. But they were saying, you know, there are going to be misfit kids who come to this Christian shows and they feel very out of place hearing ska music. We want to be there for them. We want to be the people that somebody who's super awkward wants to approach and say, I really love the song about burning witches. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, sort of their uh, thematic content aside did the live show deliver like were you yeah yeah their live, up to show, the hype? their live shows were fun you couldn't mosh to this music right I mean, the, the, especially the beats yeah. were so hollow sounding even with a bass player i knew their bass player really really well this guy named jim and he worked at the christian bookstore with his wife kim and jim and kim i still remember them vividly because uh they were just the nicest people ever and he loved to get dressed up in that makeup that you see behind Andrew right now uh, and wail on the bass guitar, okay. but you couldn't mosh. You just watched this, these, these bands acting like it was all theater. Like it was some sort of like reject cast from Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> these guys are not particularly gifted musicians. <laughs> and you hear it in the very droll buzzsawy power chord nature of every single song you hear and the but that was to what you realize now in the denver scene that was also very a popular way for people to demo out songs reese roper yeah right he was demoing it in some cases releasing songs still with that same convention yeah so exhumator and and rackets and drapes could have made I know they did. They did. I mean, yeah. if you look at if you look at uh, concert posters for Exhumator, you see Human Soup is opening. Got it. So 
all within this very small, not popular, not Christian bookstore friendly local Denver scene. So you start at like Christian ska kids thinking that they have some sort of exclusive club that they're part of by being into Christian ska music. And then you take it like seven layers deeper than that into the mud of just nine people in the world like this band still. Right. Yeah. We should say this was so Candyland. 1998 first of three albums um at the time it was candy cane on according to the liner notes vocal incisions and cookie distribution uh twitch on wigs and adhesives um is that his wife her wife uh, which one was twitch do you know Twitch was not his wife oh okay is that a, the bass player yeah it was like a six foot tall Okay. Shaved head. People trying to essentially wear white makeup with the um, nine inch nails from the pretty hate machine era. Shaved right. head with the dreadlocks thing. Yes. Yes. Very industrial. Yeah. Um, and then Precious, uh, the organ grinder. <laughs> right. Um, so I'm not also, super clear on what any of those things mean, but. Right. I also just, just so we're clear, I. <laughs> I, I want to no, but like in, in all seriousness, I want to make sure that like I'm not misgendering anybody like who who is it that we're talking about that candy cane candy cane has gone. Uh, OK, is 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 transgender identifying okay. now living life as a woman. OK, At OK. The time of rackets and drapes for the first two records. It was a gentleman named Tim. Okay, we all, okay. We all knew within the scene he would come to shows still. Okay. Well, and, I'll and just organ I'll, grinder woman was his wife. Okay. Well, I'll just I'll just ref, just to make it easy, I'm just going to refer to Candy Cane as a she even yeah. regardless of what era we're talking about just to that make sounds it just fine. Um, sure. make it easy. Um so um this you you saw human soup you saw them perform as rackets and drapes uh so when this record came out is this something that you picked up at a show is this something that you sought out was this something that you were excited to get yes all of the above (laughs) cd release show of course i was there (laughs) okay so there was some hype behind it was was the show were there lots of people there? What was the no. vibe like? No, like 45 people. Okay. At best, 45 yeah. people. Okay. I don't think I ever saw, even at Cornerstone, where they were the most hyped, um, they were misfits, even at Cornerstone. And I'd mm. say 200 people at most, which for a Cornerstone tent show and the HM tent at a headlining spot at, yeah. at 1030 at night yeah. is, is pretty low attendance. Um the curiosity factor also and the novelty factor of rackets and drapes would wear off very fast for mm-hmm. audience members in the attendance. They kind of had their like staples that you knew they were going to rattle through the first three ta- three songs were always burn your witches, baby killer and milk and cookies. And when you got through those three, um, you were off into the realm of who cares quickly. Mm, sure. So, there's not a lot of sustainability there because those beats are not moshable beats. They're and you can just kind of sway gothily to that. Yeah. Yeah. And and yet 
there were people at these shows without fail, my brother, chief among them, who really felt a sense of belonging here in this mm. sure. community, sub a community, sub a community. Like we're talking the seventh layer of Dante's Inferno or, you know, Paradise Lost, where pretty much the devil is just frozen. And everybody else is just frozen and you're in there and you're like, what am I supposed to do here? Exactly. This is the <laughs> coldest hell gets. This is the worst hell gets. I'm kind of, this is fine, but I'm bored. <laughs> so, sure. so did the, did the album meet your expectations? Were you, did you? Uh, absolutely. Yes. And I listened to it again this week. I don't need to go track by track, quite frankly, through it because there is so much to it that we can just discuss sort of jumping around here and some ideas here and themes that are all box worthy, quite frankly, <laughs> every yeah. song is opening up the box for a different reason. <laughs> yeah. The children, We're... the children laughing constantly, uh-huh. the children crying, the babies crying. <laughs> oh my God. When you're getting into the idea of child abuse. Yeah. Yeah. In any form. And he goes way darker and way deeper into that in the second record than this one. This one is still playing with ideas of um, maybe speaking about it from the, from the perspective of how wrong all of it is, even as a Christian, like maybe he's judging Christian culture for calling abortion murder. There's still that potential here within this album. And then it goes two, three layers deeper into the well of, of nasty shit. You know, and this is this is the kind of stuff that John and I were kind of wrestling with um, this, you know, during Magnafright Pod, um, most recently with with Harley Poe. Um, but at what point is like, of course, if you're a self de- self described shock band, then obviously you are going for shock value, but is your is your message lost when you it sort of becomes almost sort of cartoonish and so grotesque to us in a sense that you're just like the people that you would maybe reach are just like you're just losing them instantly or is the point not even to reach anybody is it just to I don't know. It's it, this is there's lots of ambiguity with with this band. The, the hardest part for me is when this idea of people living on such an extreme end gets co-opted and conscripted by quite frankly Pentecostal culture which happened in a very real way in the Columbine era and this band was directly as was Marilyn Manson, became a direct scapegoat of everything in and about uh, Columbine. So this happened in real time this way. There was a promoter here, severe Pentecostal preacher named Larry, Big Papa Larry. Five Iron would play his venue called Stage South a lot, as would we. And he was a much older gentleman, 60 at the time maybe, who would preach at every show, wanted every single band to preach in order to play. And he would put, you know, a uh, hundred dollars in your pocket for gas and, and pay for 
lunch or dinner for you guys that night. So Big Papa Larry was, for all intents and purposes, an outreach minister from a very, very hysterical speaking in tongues Pentecostal background, uh, which in the sort of white bread, suburban, vanilla, boring world of Denver, Colorado, always represented an extreme position to be coming from. And so he got in with the human soup rackets and drapes crowd and was one of their biggest champions uh, as somebody who said, you guys are doing something to preach to the lost, the really lost, the way lost, the heroin addicted, cross-dressing lost or whatever labels you wanted to put into it for uh, you know teenagers and culture that was always horrifically misdiagnosed. <laughs> for lack of a better word, culturally. What happens is this. Uh, Larry has this venue called Tuesday Night at Your Mom's. And Larry has, Larry has rackets and drapes play a show on Saturday, which would have been August, I'm sorry, April the 17th of 1999. Saturday, April the 17th. April 1999, Rackets and Drapes plays a show at Tuesday Night at Jerome's, which is approximately 2.3 miles away from Columbine High School. And Larry does his charismatic shtick in the middle of Rackets and Drapes set, where he says, there are some of you who are thinking about doing some very bad things tonight. Some of you are thinking about doing drugs. Some of you are thinking about not going home tonight and going home with uh, another suitor or whatever, or some of you are thinking of hurting others. I'm here to tell you right now, Jesus has a plan for you. And Jesus is asking you, point of no return, turn away from your evil ways right now, because some of you are going to go down a very dark path very soon. And this is your last chance. Come to find out, as a matter of record, that Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, who were the Columbine perpetrators, three days later, were at the Rackets and Drake show. Wow. And then the question comes up for Larry of how he's going to uh, use this knowledge. Will he uh -huh. use it for good or will he use it for hmm. evil? And what does that even mean now? And more importantly, the answer is, by the way, Five Iron Frenzy plays the Columbine Memorial concert. 20,000 people show up to this amphitheater called Fiddler's Green. Five Iron Frenzy headlines. It's the first time I saw them play Rhubarb Pie, which was nice. amazing before Ugly Day was even written. And Larry got up on stage and he recanted to 20,000 people the story of how he tried to prevent and had the opportunity. And Jesus had the calling on his heart to stop Columbine. And Jesus can save any of us, no matter what low point we're at, no matter where we're at in our life. Jesus will and always no matter how far along you are in your journey toward evil find you and give you one last chance to not go to hell and yet these two evil motherfuckers turned away from it hmm. and went and did some horrible acts of evil and i'm here to tell you right now as a part of the altar call you do not want to end up where they are right now trust me boys and girls yikes uh it gets yeah like i said this, this shit gets dark fast yeah. uh, for a lot of reasons. Chief among them now, knowing that he's gone around and continues 
probably to this day to tell that story. Uh, if he's alive, I don't know. Reese doesn't know. I talked to him about this story last night too uh, from Five Iron because he knew Larry real well also. And we all knew what Larry was capable of for good and for bad. Welcoming in bands of misfits to a place where they could hang their head and play a show was a lovely thing for orphan kids. Right. Uh, but you asked the question ultimately, if you're Eric Harris, now we think about people empathically, even killers, even people who made terrible decisions as teenagers. We have to look somewhat at historical sort of repetition and say to ourselves what led to maybe a couple of decisions early on for those people. Was Larry's message truly something that Jesus was trying to find those kids still in their darkest place through rackets and drapes? Or was there being in attendance at a rackets and drapes show the last straw that goes back, that forced them into this narrative place where Christians are sick <laughs> and judgmental mm. and never going to understand me and always going to make me feel like I am horrible or hellbound anyway. So what's the point? So you look back now at the historical context of all that, and I would really be curious to talk to Tim about it um, or Candy Cane just to see her perspective on it, quite frankly. Because uh, yeah. she, she, especially at the time, had a gift for being very articulate and very forthcoming and very honest and approachable for a guy like me who looks like me, who has always looked like me. Right. No misgivings or no issues with going up to candy cane and having a 30 minute casual conversation about anything from our favorite cheeseburger place in Denver to what influenced their musical style, why they were doing this. It was very transparent, very open, kind of just, it was what Five Iron Frenzy was and represented, a circus of misfits and kids. Mm. It didn't really matter if they were ska kids, punk kids, goth kids, gospel, supertones loving kids. It, it was all just sort of welcome in the same thing. So there was, yeah. not, there was not a sense of making fun of rackets and drapes even then. Sure. There was just, we're all kind of a little bit odd. Right. You know, they're expressing their oddness through this style of music that's really not popular right now. Right. Even Marilyn Manson disavowed very quickly his leaning toward, you know, white face paint and programmed drum machines. Yeah. There's part of me that's like, that's another thing we've kind of been saying this month with some of these bands is like, it's not as though these uh, trappings of horror punk were limited to the christian scene like there are cringeworthy aspects of it in the secular world too like yeah. i'm sure they were influenced i'm sure there's like bullshit uh baby noises and lullaby you know music box sounds on like <laughs> Marilyn manson records of that era like I, I feel like i remember that stuff so it's like yeah. portrait of an american family and right certainly smells like children yeah so there's there are maybe an extra level of uh, cringe when it's being used to judge in the name of Christ, I suppose. But like those cringe elements are not unique to like the Christian bands who are, who are in this world. So I don't know. No, that's, but that's the, part of it they, it's so interesting that they became rather than Marilyn Manson becoming vilified after Columbine that 
rackets and drapes became almost deified. Interesting. As an example of Christ reaching into the depths of people at their darkest places and still looking for those lost souls and trying to prevent them from doing harm and evil to others, sure. especially God's Christian family. Right. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I feel like that whole narrative then also shifted to be like, you know, Harris and Klebold were targeting Christians and that whole, like, Oh, have you read that Dave Cullen book Columbine? It's amazing. It's one of the best written books I've ever read about fact-based presentation of how all these stories became the stuff of martyrdom legend, which were right, not right. true at all. The girl who said yes, Cassie Bernal, right, didn't right. say yes. The girl who said yes is still alive today. Right. It doesn't right. make a big deal yeah. out of it. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's amazing yeah. how deep that that book goes into all this. And it it sort of hovers around this specific topic a few times of how especially um, extreme Christianity, the speaking in tongues version of, of uh, all of this went to such extreme lengths to dig their heels in rather than to look at themselves in the mirror and say, what could have I done to possibly contribute to this? What right. may have led to this? that I'm responsible or culpable for, it was literally just like, now it's a hundred percent us versus them. Yeah. If you don't speak in tongues. And if you don't understand the language of who Christ is as a 15 year old, right. You know what? You're next buddy. Yeah. And then, and then leading into quite frankly, September 11th, it got worse. It got way mm. worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, um, I mean, so Marilyn Manson currently um, and historically, I guess, um, kind of a piece of shit. Um, but I remember when I saw uh, Bowling for Columbine and Michael Moore interviewed him in that movie at backstage at some show. And this part has kind of always stuck with me. And I think it kind of goes to your point about uh, creating spaces for misfits. Um, Michael Moore saying like, um, uh, if you could talk to Dylan. What would you say to their, what would you, what would you say to Eric and Dylan? And Marilyn Manson said, nothing. I would listen, which is what nobody ever did. And I think that's a pretty profound statement. And when you go back to talking about this guy who's running this place, if, if you're creating a space, a true space for misfits, but every band is required to like preach, then you're really limiting the kind of quote unquote misfits that are allowed in this kind of space. And, you know, yeah. I, I think in there, in his framing, I'm sure he thinks he's doing the right thing by saying, like, you are going to go to hell. We're trying to help you. We're trying to save you. And that's not what some people need to hear. Some right. people need someone to listen to them. They don't need someone preaching at them. As a, as a young person, I did 
a lot of what I do still today, which was just lead a little bit charismatically and use a, a lot of big words to sort of present myself or whatever thing I'm championing for or vying for, uh, you know, jockeying for, I, I sort of would always use that verboseness or the way that I could express myself to, to get into shows, to play shows, to, to promote whatever thing that we were doing. And guys like Larry saw talent in that. And in a weird way, not even meaning to be predatory, certainly wanted, he wanted a, a champion for his causes, his beliefs. Mm -hmm. So another situation that I'm very horrified by and embarrassed by, but also it's a fact of my life and it also speaks to what was going on at the time in the box was being invited to a, a summit of bands, get the leaders from the Christian band community to Denver. A member of Five Iron Frenzy was there as well. I'll keep this person's identity hidden. Uh, we get together at this little strip mall to just have a prayer over Denver and the Denver scene. And I'm like, that's cool. And Larry calls and he says, hey, man, you, you can... Uh, you can count on getting some getting some gigs out of this, you know what mm -hmm. I mean. Mm -hmm. But come to the come to the come to the prayer summit; it'll be great. So I do with the buddy. We go down to a, a far far away part of town, right when we're sixteen, just turned sixteen, just got our license. Parents don't care where we're at. We're going to a church thing, it's far away. Right. We go down to this venue. We start praying for the scene, and Larry does what at the time was very commonplace for a lot of folks of this persuasion. Um, the, I don't even know what the word is. I keep forgetting the word, but he said, we're going to get outside now. We're going to leave this strip mall. We're going to go for a walk together and pray for our city. Great. Let's do that. We leave. We walk through the parking lot over to the adult bookstore. And we form a human prayer chain where we link arms. 16 year old kids, 48 year old women, a 65 year old pastor. We link arms and Larry leads a prayer that lasts 20 minutes oh. while people are trying to get their groceries and also go to the adult bookstore and perhaps buy a condom or something useful or smart. Okay. And we form a, a prayer chain around their entrance to a said adult bookstore where Larry then prays that the but he doesn't pray. I'm sorry. He has a vision of the bookstore burning to the ground. Oh no. Sure. And makes that very, very publicly known to anybody driving by on the street in a very bad part of town, mind you. And I felt so unsafe. Sure. For a lot of reasons, very unsafe and very un uh, uncommitted and unconvinced of his convictions in that moment. Not in a like this whole Christianity thing is bullshit. What am I doing here? Kind of way. Nothing like that. Just in a, I'm, I'm really afraid right now. Yeah. And this guy's feeding into my fear of God, at the time, you know, you don't, you don't know anything. You're like demons could be real. They could be mm -hmm. out to get me tonight. Unless I pray that pray this prayer, the demons that have latched onto the adult bookstore could latch onto me as I drive home and, kill me with a drunk driver accident or something you know like you just you don't have the life experience or the perspective to see right. what's going on broadly but it is indicative of how deep and i i hate to say overlooked 
and dark of the scene guy. The mm. box that we talk about of people doing rock for life. Right. Or doing the misogynistic girls are nothing but trouble. Like, no, man, it went way, way scarier than that for me. It got, yeah. it got yeah. me into horror movies in a really dark mm. way. Interesting. Like I needed to have something to see that would be, that would scare me more than that. That would hurt me more than that. So seeing early West Craven films, if you're familiar, John, early West Craven films are all about his dealing with trauma from Vietnam. Right. Yeah, they're yeah. viscerally unpleasant and bad for the soul. On yes. A lot of levels. And yet to me at the time, I said, this is making me sick, like physiologically sick watching this vile garbage last house on the left. But I got to see it because I've also seen some other really nasty stuff in the Christian church context. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, it's just it's an experience that I think I'm making public right now because I kind of have to purge myself of it. Sure. Not because I'm proud. Like, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to know that I did that or I was part of that or party to that. And most of the other people who are party to that, that I know still to this day have, let's say it's the five iron frenzy person that I mentioned. Uh, it's, it's been blocked. Hmm. They've put a, they've locked up that box and it will never be found again. It shouldn't be found again. Yeah. Or my best buddy in my band, he can't, he hates everything about the church now as a result yeah. of experiences like that. I can't blame yeah. him. it's horrifying totally again and like if you talk to people who they're like this is all they see they just see the judgment they just see the looking down they see the not so thinly veiled threats of violence you know and where is where's jesus in this where is the space for the misunderstood misfits the lost the the hurting when all all it seems to be is just finger pointing and condemnation right yeah 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 my wife talks a lot about uh, a mission trip to europe that she went on in high school um and walking around uh copenhagen uh at night and being convinced because the leaders of the trip had told her this was the case that everybody there was possessed by demons. And so what she realized now is she just saw drunk people, but this group of teens who had been all revved up uh, by these leaders to go pray over people, pray over the city. um, You know, they were seeing drunk people who were acting like drunk people, but they were convinced that these forces were out to get them. And she remembers being, truly scared by it and she kind of laughs at it today but i think it's like what you're saying it was this sort of definite like defining traumatic experience for her where it was like right what good was that doing for anyone well you have to also now as an adult person look at it from the perspective of like the drunk guy who's on his very first trip to europe like just loose trying to explore the city a little bit and somehow they then have a very sobering Yes. experience with a 15 year old kid who comes up to them and is like hey is the devil inside of you <laughs> right yeah exactly perhaps <laughs> I mean, speaking like, in tongues or whatever like 90 heinekens are but i don't know the <laughs> devil. <laughs> yeah um, oh man 
but that sobering moment for that person where the demon leaves them because all of a sudden they're like I got a straight, I, I can't look like I'm just about to fall over and wet my pants in front of a 15 year old. That would be horrifying. Uh, it's like this weird vicious cycle where the 15 year old yeah, yeah. feels validated that like they saved that person from hell. Right. Right. And, and the, uh, the drunkard is like, man, I gotta, gotta get my ass to church or something. This 15 right. year old came up to me in Copenhagen. Maybe they were <laughs> looking for me. I don't know. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the devil's lair, Denmark. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, should we, I want to hear what, what other highlights in your own personal prism of your experience uh, you want to share, but like, are there, are there any songs we want to hear parts of? Is there anything you want to call out? Yes, for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I just have to say again, this is this, it's so hard. It's so hard to not, cast judgment against what was going on with rackets and drapes at the time but my perspective in life has changed so dramatically where at the time it was it was sort of like a funny thing like a parlor trick that you knew about this band sure trump however weird or obscure or um, esoteric a band appeared on the surface Mm -hmm. for for every legitimate music fan of legitimate operatic, well-constructed savior machine style tunes. Mm-hmm. You always felt like you had a little bit of like a trump card in rackets and drapes. They, they trumped all of it because, yeah. Um, yeah, let's just get in. Let's just get into, let's just get into the start of this record for a second. Here. <laughs> okay. I want people to hear some of this stuff who don't know it. Oh boy. All right. Baby killer. <laughs> Ooh. It does sound like a nightmare. This would fit in Magnifrite Pod. Lots of dissonant notes. Sure. Uh-oh. <laughs> this will probably only go on for a couple seconds, though, right? This goes on for so long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Maybe we can skip ahead a little. <laughs> Every no, I had to suffer through this. <laughs> it just keeps going. This brings up brings back for me traumatic memories of my kids not stopping crying when they were little, just being like, Oh my god. Oh whoa. I think we can stop there. I mean, one one nice thing I'll say before we say anything else is I do think those keys sound cool. They're like, I like that. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, I like that. I, yeah, that's that's a catchy little ditty. Yeah, he's got a he's got a good scream. Uh, yeah, I'll give him that too. But the 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 the, the derivative Marilyn Manson stuff. 
it uh yeah it doesn't it doesn't really do it that part doesn't really do it for me i mean i like uh, i think i'll go so far as to say that you know i like um you know one marilyn manson record but uh, mechanical animals i think is is a good record but um a lot of it does sound the same over as you continue to listen to the record and um the sort of fluctuating between the i'm gonna sing a little weird and that i'm gonna do this but but you gotta get us to burn your witches because this is where he does the true marilyn manson thing which is to go burn your witches (laughs) right right burn them all in a very very, like michael cain style (laughs) (laughs) some men just want to watch the world burn your witches (laughs) nailed it To a couple of different motifs there obviously the Marilyn Manson is the first but then he's also going into this gothic you know Glenn Danzig uh-huh. style yeah. of, of performance on his vocal affect none of it really has any bearing in a uniquely rackets and drapes style of music it's right. just borrowing cheap 20 second snippets from these different influences where you're just like oh that's a poor man's fill in the blank yeah man's trent reznor followed by a poor man's uh skinny puppy followed by a poor man's ministry i think the chorus is even a little rob zombie-ish the like um as far as like content on this one i think it's kind of interesting he's like I see witches, uh, she's like, I see witches within everybody's closet. You show me yours and I'll show you mine. Um, you know, I hear a song like, I hear a song title like Burning Your Witches and I get a little nervous, but I'm like, he seems, sorry, I don't know. He at the time, she seems to be saying, uh, we all have sort of things that we're hiding and let's get them out in the open. Maybe I'm being generous with my read on that, but it actually feels like kind of a good message. <laughs> maybe i'm reaching i took this whole album even at the time contextually to look it it was sort of this reflection on all the dirty secrets of christianity yeah 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 yeah. and christians pretending like they're not responsible for their what was it you know like salem witch trials all the way to the people picketing outside of the abortion clinics sure every aspect of the dirty little secrets of Christianity this guy wanted to talk about in all right. of his music and presenting it as if 
he is always a character in this sort of twisted fantasy where he is always leading Christians down the path that sounds very sweet and safe and boring as a Christian. Like, let me just feed you some treats here and there and there. <laughs> and by the way, I want you to beat your wife right. in love with a fist, or I yeah. want you to molest children or whatever the thing is that he, right, right. he had some serious trauma he's dealing with at the time or the band was, I should say, all of it was sort of manifesting itself in these little allegory stories or whatever they would call themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, uh, the milk and cookies one, I assumed was almost from like, is it like Satan? Who's the narrator? Um, yeah, let's get there. Let's get into milk and cookies. Milk that and cookies. was their hit. That was the big hit for this. Okay. Song. You never saw them play without this song. Ever. Kind of into it so far. Maybe that's enough, though. <laughs> yeah, I get it. It's 20 You gotta get that. This is the best part. It's coming. 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 Oh boy, that sucks. <laughs> There was a different sound on that organ. It could have been cool right there, but boy, that sounds chintzy. Uh, it literally sounds church organy. Yeah, uh, maybe that's <laughs> so, the point. Boy, the so vocals we, are tough on this one for you too. Go up to Candy Cane at the time and say, "What is this about for you? Why are you uh -huh. doing this? Uh -huh. You know, what's the message? <laughs> are you are you for?" <laughs> the boogeyman are you against the devil what's happening right whatever answer you got wasn't going to be satisfactory really yeah in the, in the grand context of your life and really thinking about this this dark sort of world of subversive christian music you know like subversive ideas being presented as um, fantasy land fairy tales of evil happening 
or whatever they're going for. So by comparison, for example, when you take Savior Machine and the Savior Machine record, and you take some of the very anthemic ideas, can you go to Savior Machine for just a second? Yep. Pop over there. We can switch over. And and you deal with, let's just go to like Legion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the that's the song that uh got, got them in trouble, trouble for. Yeah. yeah. And you get into the middle of it. You know, I I'm really into Savior Machine. I uh, I was asking John before you hopped on, Jason, if um, if he was uh, what his feelings were about Dream Theater, which is I'm I'm getting some Dream Theater, just grandiose, uh, big. Yeah, uh, you get especially dramatic if you get, if you get to a world alone and you just play a world alone, and it sounds like the biggest most epic conclusion it, it sounds top gun-esque <laughs> literally a world alone it sounds like the beat is from the movie top gun it's got this very very uh, just big sound to it sam west the drummer of savior machine went on to play in almost all the stavesacre records and just saw him play at furnace fest recently and we talked wow. savior machine and had mcallen 18 talking about savior machine and it was amazing uh, but, you know, when you're talking almost painting a picture like Savior Machine did throughout their whole artistic career of these stories, these big metaphorical stories that sometimes fall into the realm of biblical based, and then other times they don't have anything to do with the Bible and more in the realm of fantasy kings and queens and quests and dragons and crazy shit happening (laughs) uh presented by this guy the guy who looks just like freaking the nosferatu remake (laughs) um with his his headset have you watched any of the stuff of them playing on youtube no i have it's pretty cool it is amazing it is amazing he's such a massive performer and he any uh, any room he walked into 
he commanded that room the moment you saw him step into a room. And it didn't hurt that the entire room was adorned with candelabras from like 1743. Right. <laughs> now, how did yeah. you get the candelabras to Bushnell, Illinois? <laughs> That's my question. They had a whole uh, trailer just they for, weren't for candles, candelabras. They weren't candles, you know, that were from Walmart. They had literally <laughs> bit like been to the candle store what was the popular candle store in the like early 2000s called oh i know uh, what you're talking Yankee about candle company but the yeah, Yankee yeah. candle company was like the candles were old church smell uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally well, so let's they created a mood oh my gosh i love saber machine they're so good by comparison in trying to create yeah a story of malevolence the story of right right story of terror and constructing a a universe that you can dive into and have some serious fun in the fantastic realm of other than just to like say hey let's just be creepy and say milk and cookies (laughs) right (laughs) yeah this is another thing we've talked about uh during magna fright pod is sort of like there's a tendency to sort of like revel in the like ickiness of these stories of uh macabre things happening and sometimes it's just like i just feel kind of like bummed out and gross living in these stories but savior machine songs are very they're poetic they're about spiritual warfare they're about apocalypse and prophecy and it feels much more satisfying as a way to sort of explore uh dark forces and dark forces battling light forces and things like that um to give a little context savior machine formed in los angeles in 1989 they had five studio albums in the 90s. Uh, Eric Clayton on vocals, very distinctive voice. Uh, Jeff Clayton on guitar, at least on this record, Saber Machine One. Dan, uh, Dean Forsyth on bass. Samuel West, Samuel West, as he said, Jason on drums. Um, and yeah, this, this record came out in 1993 on Frontline Records, widely respected. Um, but we'll get into a little bit of the problems they encountered within the scene. Um, but yeah, as you said, I mean, uh, theatrical stage show, pyrotechnics, projecting images, props, uh, distinctive face paint, and uh, rare you know, AF vinyl pressings that I have. Yeah, I have number five hundred of five hundred, and this. Is, Whoa! It's like a five hundred dollar record. I was going to ask you about this because yeah. it got pulled from distribution at a certain point, and it was re-released. But was it ever? It wasn't ever repressed. So it was never released on vinyl until like the mid like mid 2010 so 2014 a scandinavian fellow got a hankering to take his entire life savings and pour it into pressing savior machine one and savior machine two on vinyl which god bless him for doing yeah sounds like a a buddy to you yeah uh, uh, you know uh, kindred spirit for sure yes they sound this record sounds amazing on vinyl it was well constructed it was well executed the liner notes everything is it it really they did a great job on it i'm very impressed with the work that you know lpd collector records put this sure thing out love them lpcd and massacre records under exclusive license from massacre records i'm just so grateful that it exists as such a testament to um the in in my opinion if you're going to close out Magnafrite pod mm-hmm. with some 
artist slash legacy within this weird little world we call the Christian music scene, but somebody who was trying to do it with a little bit of integrity and not mocking right. the seriousness of horrific things, mm-hmm. not mocking or making light of or trying to novelty the whole entire idea of people being exploited, like not turning that into a novelty. Right. The Savior Machine would stand apart from all of the artists that you've covered so far as somebody. I don't mean to sound weird, you guys, but do you guys think that was like the devil or something? I think it was, I think it was, uh, old satan himself just playing just being an old trickster yep and you were like in the middle of like making this great point too yeah i think we were where were we at we were talking about first time seeing seeing them no you were talking you were talking about wrapping up magda fright pod and how it was you know it was like uh just it's it's the reality is that when you're dealing with people who want to present whatever position that they have about their interpretation of their faith the christian faith or otherwise and they want to do it through storytelling in such a severe way in such a a like role-playing type of way it's so much easier and safer to lean into novelty stuff. It's so much more risky and so much more rewarding at the end of the day to be a savior machine and to do things that are completely, they're they're probably not gonna be well-received or popular. They're never gonna be in the mainstream of of people's, the, the forefront of their thinking of this whole entire scene. When they think about shock rock or theatrical operatic or horror based Christian music or anything like that, Mm-hmm. Um, Savior Machine is left out of the conversation because people don't know where to put them in the conversation. Mm. Right? They're so serious. They're so well constructed. They're so well thought out and intentional, and they have such a European bent mm. where they're not reliant on novelty to sort of carry the weight of the seriousness of the message that they're presenting right. through storytelling. Uh, they don't care. They're not here for you. They're not here for any of us. They're not interested in our bragging or not about them to our friends in high school they are doing their own shit and i love that so much about them with like this integrity level that is light years beyond 90 percent of the people in the christian music scene i can't even say that about danielson i can say that maybe about starflyer or pedro the lion or people like that who are standing for this own sort of like they're intentionally and purposefully themselves in the creation of their art and their story arc is so much broader than the scene of this music and whether or not they felt popular. But I can tell you in 1998, I was probably only one of three, 300 people inside of a tent wanting to watch the show. And I was dramatically outaged, double my sure. age. And yeah, yeah. People, it was like, what's this kid doing here? And I was just sitting there transfixed going like, I, I have to experience all of this right now. I need to know what this is all about. And I did the same thing for 
MC Hammer. I did the same thing for Rackets and Drapes. I did the same thing for other novelty acts. And within three songs, I wanted to leave the set. And I usually would, but Save Your Machine, 100% there the entire set. Eyes wide open, not even blinking. <laughs> afraid, to, afraid to take a deep, deep breath because it would be heard in the pause between songs. Right. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty impactful when you see some performance like that in that context it it sort of uh it kind of muted the seriousness which which i thought slick shoes is the best band ever sure yeah yeah, yeah. oh they're definitely not the best band i, I love <laughs> slick shoes but man there's some stuff out there i don't know anything about right real i mean that's one of the strengths of the scene right like there are there are many problems but like the fact that slick shoes and save your machine are at the same festival is like that's a cool thing I yeah. know. Um, what a lucky that would not happen in most environments that wasn't right. happening at Lollapalooza or a right. festival you had yep. to stay in your lane when you were in the 90s yeah yeah so and they're still together right are they still touring and stuff no okay it's just eric doing okay. his, his eric thing and eric right. can make music under the eric banner okay. as savior machine any way he wants and i talked to sam about that as well you know um they're still they're still making music together they're still sending demos back and forth they could put a savior machine album out tomorrow and again it would fall hopelessly out of time with or out of step with what's popular right now yeah probably rule <laughs> yeah right you well know? yeah i i'm sad that i don't get to experience it now um but we should say we were listening to Legion earlier. We referenced that getting them in trouble. Uh, it was supposedly responsible for the album being banned from Christian bookstores just weeks after its release. Uh, it was re-released in 1996 with different packaging. But yeah, I mean, some of these lyrics you were talking about, it's like, naked she lies on the crucifix crying, the tears of the innocent die, the dragon slides between her thighs, the dragon breathes the fire as blood drips from her eyes. Like that was maybe a little too much for family Christian bookstore to, <laughs> to handle, <laughs> but uh, it's drag. So, it's so bold, isn't it? Dragon so much... sliding between her thighs. It's a, it's quite it's the image. So, it's so much more bold, but in the context of the whole album, it packs such a heavier punch than anything on the Candyland Rackets and Drapes record, anything. Yeah. That just seems so hollow when you're like comparison. Oh, I don't think even, Rackets and Drapes were trying to be in any comparative league with Savior Machine. It's right. just interesting to compare the two of them as being horror-based, operatic, uh, theatrical performance art. Yeah, the- I mean, Savior Machine doesn't even have any babies crying. On- <laughs> yeah, like, How can you tell they're spooky if there's no children crying? Um, where's, where's the music box? Where are the laughing right. children? Yeah, I feel like, I mean, what you touched on earlier, Jason, that like something we've come up uh, against a few times uh, over this month has been like, are you doing this backwards? Like, are you are you deciding to use spooky content for your ministry or are you just into spooky stuff and you feel like you have to put Christian themes in there? You know, there's it just opens itself up to sometimes like this question of how authentic are you being here? Like, what are your uh your goals with choosing to write songs like this and with savior machine i have no doubt that like it's completely authentic this is like the world that they created and live in yeah and and to rackets and drapes if you could point the finger at rackets and drapes from a critical perspective 
it was usually not in the realm of like how bad they were as musicians or how, you know, obviously pandering to hysteria their lyrics were and things like that and how they were right. trying to be controversial for controversial sake. It was just mostly like, you guys don't need to try so hard. Right. If yeah. you really want this message to get across to the lost kid who's identifies as goth and queer or whatever, you don't have to try so hard. Yeah. I even felt that way about Marilyn Manson at the time, at least some of Marilyn Manson stuff as a sort of gothy leaning weird kid. I could even kind of smell like this feels a little, you know what I mean? Like it's a little too much. You're trying a little too hard here. I don't know. I I Um, appreciated what Marilyn Manson brought into the scene at the start, like in a big way, it was just not being done. And uh, you could just tell that he was for all intents and purposes, an original and yeah, it caught up with him, of course. Uh, sure. But he was an original voice yeah. in that, scene, um, which is interesting. Uh, but so is Savior Machine, much more, uh, much more integrity with Savior Machine throughout the Sure. I, I need to read <laughs> this paragraph from their Wikipedia page. Uh, for several reasons, but it says, despite critical acclaim from the mainstream press and a growing number of fans nationwide, people in some conservative circles reportedly felt threatened by Savory Machine's lyrical direction and stage presentation, most prominently the white makeup and jewel worn by vocalist Eric Clayton. During their 1993 tour with metal band Deliverance, the controversy spilled over at a concert at the New Union, the club in Minneapolis, which uh, my band played all the time. Oh, yeah. Several songs into their set, the power was cut and the performers were ushered from the stage. This was followed by an announcement from New Union management stating that they were uncomfortable with the content of the show. However, many in the crowd gathered with the band shortly after at a local White Castle to show their continued support. <laughs> There's just a lot going on in that paragraph. I... Um, I love everything about that. <laughs> I wish guys, I had gathered there. Did you guys experience that a lot also in the scene? Like while I'm talking a little bit less shocking and scary past history, did you experience as a band or at these shows, like I experienced frequently in Denver, uh, the power cut phenomenon? Your message is unacceptable power is cut show is over and that happened i i can't even tell you how many times we we had that experience to us to bands we were in to watching rackets and drapes i probably saw three shows where their power was cut that's fascinating i mean i saw officer negative at new union and i guess that's not the same but you know they played with the power cut and didn't realize it but they played 45 minutes and didn't seem to care that, that that sounds more accurate this but no i don't remember that happening yeah uh, that was a big thing for, uh, for our scene as well like this somebody behind the curtain pulling the wizard of oz strings making the final verdict on whether or not right. the band gets to live or do their art or die see and there's the downside of the christian scene we were in is like you're not going to go to like first avenue and have them be like that's enough that's, no, that's you a would, too but wild. it would be for just being a shitty band sure or maybe like yeah. pulling your dick out or something <laughs> but yeah. like yeah it's uh it's fascinating um yeah saver machine just in in so many ways was uh fascinating and, and i would encourage anybody who doesn't know about either of these bands certainly to lean into going and discovering some some 
back catalog Savior Machine live performances because they mm. are mesmerizing. Yeah. They are every bit. They did a few DVDs of live shows and things like that, and they are spooky and smoky and the perfect backdrop for your Halloween party. Uh, I like it. You know, with, with anybody, this is the ultimate parlor trick. You can get the most hipster, film buff, obscure horror <laughs> F Murnau fan ever. And it won't matter because they'll be like, what's this thing that you got on the wall on the projector <laughs> unit? It's, uh, yeah, it's a Savior Machine performing Savior Machine 2. <laughs> this is a christian band performing in bushnell illinois uh how about no, that no it's always it's always them performing in in yeah yeah scandinavia no i know that's better i'm just saying Need they'd be it. like a christian band um so there yeah sorry we, go ahead john we need a revival of that scene i'm not interested in like it was so cool at furnace fest to see death heaven playing black metal but looking like andrew Phelan. <laughs> yeah right exactly. that rules yeah, i'm like what rules. is happening this singer looks handsome and beautiful <laughs> and he's wearing a button-up shirt yeah uh, but he sounds and, like and, a and, demon and no the band <laughs> is playing full-on black metal yeah no they rule uh no i was just gonna say we i mean the album closes with the song jesus christ which is an epic and oh, i wait, wanted to can hear you, can you give me that other song not jesus christ but the one that has the uh, top gun flavor to it because it is so good. Yes, that was. I thought that was the closer. It is a world alone. World yes. alone. Okay. My word. Just go to the middle-ish. That just seemed like it could be a closer to basically <laughs> any 80s movie <laughs> any 80s movie ever just uh, so so big so lush jesus yeah. christ is also amazing some of these songs are 10 minutes long yeah they're, they're epics um jesus christ i wanted to hear the uh the chorus uh comes in at about 1 30 for the first time so epic with the oh, 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 oh. i love so much about the guitar tone on the on this record yeah it's cool i also wanted to play a little bit of uh carnival of souls because i do think that there is a 
significant U2 vibe going on in this yes. song. He literally, he literally sounds like he's singing with or without you. Yeah, yeah. it, it does. That rules. another theatrical for a man. But it's, it's said with such gravitas, it gets in your mind for a second. And you're like, okay, but I got to stop. I got to focus back on what's going on right here. Bono, get out of there. <laughs> Focused on this guy. The um, end of The Widow and the Bride also is just huge right. and great. Check some of that out. <laughs> it's quite an opening. <laughs> Well, it's, a bleed, it's a bleed through for the from the last one. one yeah yeah yeah. it's just such a jarring like, order is weird here. I, don't know I it's a i don't know the way it was uh the way um it, whatever it transferred over when you shared the files it's right. yeah it got all out of whack pretty good so you not only get like those drums are crazy you not only get some inklings of what stavesacre would do Mm. because it's the same drummer as stavesacre yeah and how he had a really interesting knack for a lot of cymbal play that was really uncommon in those Mm. like in in the days of our scene you had a drummer with the specific type of kit who only played like the ride his hi-hat and one crash 
And you can tell here, Sam West is going like all over Tom's, all over nine symbols. <laughs> the Dream Theater, Mark, Mike Portnoy, right. style yeah, yeah. Of drumming. Yeah. And then also having a knack for building intensity, which played really well into Stavesacre's music and doing like, if you remember their, their big song that they debuted with was called Threshold, Stavesacre. Do you have Stavesacre uh, Friction on here or not by chance? Um, I don't think I do. No. Okay. Well, I mean, Stave I have Zaker, it on. I can get on Spotify. Yeah, Stave Zaker Friction for a second. You can hear the similarities to the ending of this song and then the ending of the song Threshold, which was their big debut single, because they would just got really wild and raucous. Right. And then cut out sudden, yeah. like sudden drop off stop. And it's Mark Solomon just goes, suffer. <laughs> yeah, that sounds Threshold, right. Go to the end of that song. It's also five minutes long, just like Save Your Machine. Yeah. Go to the, just that ending. It's awesome. Like last maybe 30 seconds. Yeah, it's fine. so hard gosh they're good it's not uh, sam west playing that part but it is the idea of like yeah bringing that energy and seeing that live at furnace fest was just so oh, man for me jealous as a fan of both savior machine and watching sam west drum yeah dude, it's like he's he's an old dude in the scene you know what i mean he's yeah late, late 50s now and he was just crushing that's amazing so, yeah we we had a conversation about the difficulty in categorizing Stavesacre and yeah. perhaps they're similar to Save Your Machine in that way. Yeah, they do stand apart as like, oh geez, these guys have a lot of integrity. Damn it. Yeah. What are they doing here playing next to uh, <laughs> the Lux Tone Rockets? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amazing. Uh well well quite a quite a trail of terror we went down today. <laughs> yeah, Jason. this was the box of boxes. And and I want to make very clear to the listener, whoever they are, if it's three people in a Patreon exclusive or if it goes more broad than that. I just I think it's important that all of this is part of our story. All of this is part of an evolution of our belief system, our treatment of others, our visibility and knowledge of how to treat others more empathically or empathetically, depending on how you want to say it. I'm certainly on a, on a journey through that throughout my whole life, looking for ways and excuses to become more empathetic to others, more aware of my role in how I present myself to, to people as being kind and honest and open to whoever they want to meet me as. And, there's a lot going on here with disguises and the ideas of trying to, you know, put on crazy makeup and crazy fronts about talking about being dangerous and scary for a lot of these people. Some of these people were hurting quite a bit, and this was their only outlet to, to express those things. Yeah. And some of them were 
in it for the giggles of it. Maybe the deadlines were just thinking this is funny and I'm gonna ride this out to see if it'll actually get me signed. And then now that it got me signed, I don't wanna do this anymore, Right. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I guess it's important for everybody on, who's listening to hear this message loud and clear where it's not an indictment on Larry uh, Pombianco, the minister who really did feel a, a serious sense of conviction for young lost orphans and felt like he had an answer. He literally felt convicted by his answers that he didn't want to see kids hurt each other or be in a life without God. And he tried to, through the best oh. means he had, guided or misguided as they may have been, uh, tried to prevent kids from hurting each other. And so God bless Larry Pombianco, Big Papa Larry, for trying to do it even back then, maybe the wrong way, we realize in hindsight. Or uh, Candy Cane or Eric, anybody who's out there sort of trying to figure this stuff out, I applaud you for still trying. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I um, think that's the most we can ask of people is keep trying. Definitely. Keep trying. It's, it's maybe it'll get a little bit easier. We'll have a little bit of time right. on our side to look back on these things and say, well, that's not something I'm particularly proud of. Right. Personally, I have to own those bits of my life and those narratives. I was telling John while you were off for a second, Andrew, that, you know, this is stuff I don't talk about. I don't think about because it's not a proud moment for me to have floated in and out of the Pentecostal judgmental church. It influenced the way that I talked to others when I got to college. Hmm. It influenced the way that I approached, as I yeah. saw it in those days, the lost. Right. And that's, that's embarrassing. And so yeah. the person I get to show up today at a Walmart or at a Furnace Fest or whatever uh, can, can be the compound of all of the learnings I have taken from those and the hopefully betterment of things I could put out into the world. That's the best I can hope for. Uh, and, and I did find that at Furnace Fest, especially people coming up and genuinely being grateful to, to be looked at in the eyes again, Yeah. outside of a pandemic's sort of hypnosis and the hold that they had had from right. that. And looking at another human being who they've seen or sort of had peripheral in their mind through social media or otherwise, and seeing them as a real tangible person who could hug them and that meaning something very substantial to them. You know, I felt yeah. that Andrew, when we were together, I felt like great seeing you. I felt really, yeah, uh, man, it was uh, by being able to do that. It's very meaningful, very, um, very significant trip for me. Um, yeah. And it's the scene in all of the ways that John and I dissect and uh, just discuss and have nostalgia for or are critical of or are or we praise whatever bands like we're all over the place with this with this scene but you know uh, some of some of my best friends now are because of the scene that I grew up in and the school that I went to because of the church I grew up in and 
because of this podcast talking about this scene and watch you know meeting people who are like are are really are trying their best and really are trying to do the right things and uh even though they're like oof this was cringy or this is what i used to believe but now i'm trying to be better or this is how i've changed and i love seeing that for people i love hearing more about your story and being able to go on hikes and just share more together and uh hang yeah, out we did that that yeah. was crazy yeah that was fun it was great I love so that. i'm just really grateful for you and for everything that you do for us and your friendship and and just being a part of this this community the offshoot of a exposing you to rackets and drapes and savior machine hey well what, what, what are friends for <laughs> what are friends for if not for exposure to uh ultra niche um <laughs> underground but it's yes. fun to come full circle from the start of uh magnifrite pod at the beginning of the month thinking it would be one thing and then starting the episodes by saying hey like jason seems to believe for some reason that savior machine is behind all of this uh -huh. they're at the subcurrent that actually matters in the whole narrative of this whole scene right um, and then being able to prove that out through a lot of errors a lot of bad judgment calls from a lot of bands out right. there you know it's kind of funny and and seeing uh seeing how that plays true it's like oh yeah well turns out daniel day lewis is a good actor <laughs> right yes savior machine the daniel day lewis of the christian horror scene um yeah and, no i i hashtag brand new sentence <laughs> uh, <laughs> we we were uh, eager to hear uh more about the the why this, behind it getting yeah it. yeah and so it was great to hear you to hear you get to do it and i i definitely have a much deeper understanding now uh wise words from a man in a hoobastank hat uh thank you for spending time with us as always uh thanks for everything you do jason and uh and this and J jason we just want to say that um everything that you have done for uh us in this this little segment of uh, you and Bruno, um, with our artwork and everything, you are the reason. Is that a reference to something that I missed? <laughs> Hoobastank. Oh, Hoobastank. And the reason, reason. is, Jason. <laughs> the reason is you. <laughs> that was good. Sorry, I guess I, I could have. I guess looking, I could have sang it, but no, it was looking good. to change who he used to be. Yeah, he's not a perfect person. <laughs> <laughs> the reason to start over new. Yeah, there you go. Reason is you. Um, all right, anyway. bud. Thank you for this. Yep. Good luck with that. <laughs> burn, uh, burn them all. <laughs> you guys. A good send off. All right, all right yeah. dude. Talk to you soon. Milking cookies. See ya. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Well, thanks as always, shadow producer Jason, our dude forever. Thanks for sharing some of his story and thoughts on these bands. We hope you found it interesting. We hope you found it interesting. Um, and if you what did, did this episode episode <laughs> do for the greater good, John?
Uh, everybody's asking that. Um, but share what you think about it over at Magnified Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Follow and subscribe to the pod if you haven't already and give us a rating or a review. Email us at magnifiedpod at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 872-762-4763, 8727-MAGPOD. You can also support us over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash magnifiedpod. And this week, Andrew, we got a couple new Patreon punks to welcome. Ooh. Uh, welcome, Adam Kramer. Adam hosts the So I've Been Told podcast, which Andrew, you and I were guests on. Uh, folks should go check that out. And welcome also to Garrett Godfrey. Garrett, also a podcaster. He hosts the podcast Good Patron. So go check that out. Uh, Adam Garrett, welcome to the Patreon Punk Ranks. Uh, know that our ranks are, are always open for more Patreon folks to enlist i don't know uh anyway uh you can pick up some season four merch and some magnified pod merch at magnifiedpod.storeenvy.com thanks to small step records for sponsoring us go to smallstepperecords.com to learn more thanks again to shadow producer jason and thanks to bruno at unoriginal vinyl for our artwork well i think i hear the voice of the spirit begging us to shut the fuck up we'll be back to try to make you go astray next week when we wrap up our month of magnified pod hell yeah people don't know john is that for this entire month we've had our faces painted white <laughs> just sets the vibe right yeah i just you know i feel like we've been trying to be spooky but since this is a fully audio experience people are right, getting right. the full spooky, yeah. spooky experience also every time we pause the mic i go that was <laughs> a good segment <laughs> yeah and that's great yeah killing it for more shows like this one, visit rockcandyrecordings.com.